So good. Hey, did you survive the thunder and lightning this week? Wow. That was cool. So we had a little excitement at the McMurray home on Wednesday night because right as that storm rolled in, the college Bible study rolled into my house. So there were 30, you know, college kids in my living room and the thunder was crackling and it was amazing. And, um, I walked into my kitchen and I was looking out on my front lawn as all the college kids have gathered in my living room. And I see in my front lawn, a little critter come run into my yard. And it almost looks like a, like a nutria, like one of those rats, those kind of between a rat and a, and a gopher. You don't know what I mean? Those big things, ugly. And this animal is making a beeline for my front door. But the front door's wide open and there's 30 college kids. So I'm like, this is either going to be the worst moment or the best moment ever. I don't know which. So then I, I, I said, well, I better intercept. So I run outside. And as I walk out there with my older daughter, Lauren, I realize it's not a nutria. It was a Pomeranian dog, the neighbor's dog. But it was so wet that it looked like a rat, which should tell you something. Okay. And the poor dog was scared to death. And my daughter kneeled down. He jumped up into her arms and he tucked his head under her. And my daughter had tears in her eyes. And it was one of those moments, one of those moments. So we discovered this was like, uh, this dog has a Facebook page. This dog has a business card. It's a therapy dog, you know? So you're like, what does this have to do with Luke 9? Hopefully, absolutely nothing, all right? We open your Bibles. If you're new or a visitor and you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're in this amazing study in Luke. And today we go to chapter 9. I'm excited to look there. We're actually going to come today to a natural break in our study of Luke. We're going to finish out a major unit. And then we're going to pause in Luke for the summer. And we're going to do a summer series that I'll tell you about next Sunday, and then we'll come back to Luke in the fall. But today is kind of a critical passage, so I have you turn there. Luke chapter 9, and our text is verses 37 to 50. You'll definitely want your own Bible there. Here's what's happening. Today, I've got a message for you about what happens on the day after the mountaintop experience. You know what I mean by that? The day after that amazing, epic spiritual high. Last week, we see this spiritual high. The disciples are up on the mountain and they see God's glory. And it's awesome. And it's amazing. It's like the camp high. But here's my question. What happens on the week after camp? <laughs> right? As the high starts to wear off and real life starts to set in. What happens on Monday morning after Sunday when you've had a massive spiritual breakthrough, you've had a God moment, and then you have to go back to work or you have to go back to real life? What happens in those moments? When I was in Young Life, we used to tell kids, listen, camp will be the greatest week of your life. But what we often didn't tell kids is the week after camp may be the worst week of your life. We left that out, right? It doesn't sell as well, but it's true. It's true. What about the day after the mountaintop experience? You say, where are you getting that, Pastor? Look at verse 37. This is what happens next. On the next day when they had come down from the mountain... 
You can't stay on the mountain forever, right? The mountain's amazing. Jesus took the disciples up on the mountain. We saw this last week because he needed to give them a spectacular vision of his glory. He knew they're going to need this if they're going to make it. But the mistake would be to think that God only can reveal things when you're on the mountain. When in fact, sometimes the things that we most need to see about our faith, about our relationship with Christ, sometimes some of the things we most need to see, you can only see when you're back in the valley. When you come down off that mountaintop, some of you are thinking, oh, you are describing my world right now, Pastor. You know, for some, some of us, it's not a week or a month. Sometimes that valley feels like a year. You know that experience, you have a spiritual high and then suddenly you go through a time that's cold and quiet and it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. What's God doing in that part of your Christian faith? Well, amazingly, Luke cares about that too. We look at it, Luke 9, verse 37. Here's what's gonna happen today, folks. Luke's gonna tell us about four really brief episodes about the disciples. They're going to come fast. And what you're going to see, you can see them in your Bible. There's four paragraphs. Each paragraph, each episode is going to show us a little bit of of a weakness in the disciples. We're going to see the disciples today in an unfavorable light. It's as if They come down from the mountain and Jesus says, now I need to show you some of the stuff you still need to work on. Let's read it together. Luke 9, starting in verse 37. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy. And God gave him back to his father. And he gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Episode one. Here's episode two. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Episode 2. Here's episode 3. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. It's episode three. And then finally, episode four. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Yes. I love church so much. Oh, if we only all responded that way after the reading of the word. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh man. Okay. Gather yourselves. Consider with me the following four words. These four words capture the four episodes we just read. Unbelief, ignorance, self-absorption, and tribalism. You say, say those again. (laughs) Buzzkill, hello, that's negative. No, no, no. Okay, give me just a second here. Think about these four words. Unbelief. That's the failure to cast out the evil spirit. That's episode one. Ignorance, that's the failure to understand who Jesus is as the son of man, what he'll experience his death. Self-absorption, that's the argument that breaks out about who's the greatest, who's gonna make it into the disciple hall of fame, right? And finally, tribalism. That's the fourth episode, the attempt to exclude someone because they're not a part of the inner circle. We're not on the mountain anymore, (laughs) are we? We've come down from the mountain and the descent was steep. And maybe you're thinking, man, is this sermon gonna be super intense, negative? No, think about this, folks. Look at your Bible and notice something. We're only in chapter nine. 24 chapters of Luke, which tells you something. Jesus is not done yet. These disciples are a work in progress, and so are we. Amen? And there's some things you can't learn on the mountain. You only can learn them when you come into the valley. And so Jesus says, it's okay. This isn't condemnation, but I do need you to see this because now I'm going to take you Jesus is about to go another year with the disciples before he even hangs on a cross. Why would he do that? Man, because he cares about this little community of followers. He cares about their blemishes. He cares about their blind spots. He says, I I got you soft on the top of the mountain and now I need to pound out some rough edges in the valley. And the reality is, We hear the words unbelief, ignorance, self-centeredness or self-absorption, tribalism, and realize, man, the church is prone to those. We need to hear this word today. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk through these four words, and I'm going to do it as fast as I can so that I can save some time at the end to talk to you really personally about your relationship with Jesus, okay? So let's take these four words one at a time which is really the only way to do it anyway. I don't know why I said that, but 
Here we go. Word number one, unbelief. Now here's the thing. Look at verse 37 to 41. When I read this on Monday morning, this past Monday morning, the very first thing that I wrote down when I got to verse 41, the very first thing I wrote down is, wow, Jesus is super harsh. That is intense. Faithless and twisted generation. (gasps) How long am I to be with you? I read that and I thought, why is Jesus so harsh on the disciples? We got to put ourselves in their shoes, okay? This is the nine who are not up on the mountain, right? They're down there. Jesus has gone up with Peter, James, and John, and they're having this epic camping trip, and they're down in the valley, and the stuff that's going on in the valley is intense. They got a guy who showed up whose son is possessed by an evil spirit and it's convulsing him and it seizes him. That was probably scary. It was probably crazy. It probably freaked them out. They tried to heal and cast out this demon and they failed. And you would think Jesus would show up and say, it's okay, you gave it a good old college try, you know, but Jesus says something very different. He goes, faithless, faithless, twisted generation. We look at that sentence in your Bible because I need you to see this. I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible. Jesus specifically diagnoses this failure as unbelief. He doesn't say powerless generation. Oh, if only you had more power. That wasn't their problem, apparently. He says, faithless. You tried to do this without faith. And not only that, he connects unbelief with being twisted. That word twisted in the Greek is a fascinating word. It's the Greek word diastrepho. It can also be uh, translated perverse. It basically means to take something and to turn it around, twist it so that it becomes the opposite of what it should be. So to twist something or pervert something. And Jesus says, your faith, your, your unbelief was sort of twisted in this moment. It's like Jesus saying, you tried to walk into a situation that's a Jesus-sized situation and you tried to tackle it without Jesus, without faith. You walked into a situation that's God-sized where you would need to fall on your knees and trust God and you tried to do it without falling on your knees and trusting God. And he goes, there's something about that that's kind of twisted. <laughs> you ever done that? I know I have. Have you ever been in a season in your life where you are just trusting God? I mean, you are surrendered to him. You're seeking him. You're depending on him. And then suddenly, out of the blue, you come upon a situation in your life where without any explanation, you decide to tackle that situation in your own strength or with your own wisdom. We do it all the time, don't we? You're sort of moving through life and things are going great. And then and you, suddenly you don't, even, you don't even realize you've done it, but suddenly you realize, where am I? I'm, I'm way off over here. I'm not under, I'm not surrendered to God. I'm not seeking God. I'm not listening to God. I just have in my head for some reason, I've said, Lord, I've got this. I got that. I can cover this. And we try to tackle it with our own wisdom our own strength, our own ingenuity. Isn't that interesting? 
We do it all the time. Jesus says, beware, church. Unbelief and belief, can, they can often coexist. You can, you can have them both at work in your life at the same time. Amazing. And Jesus said, there's something about doing that that it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I think that's what's happening to the disciples. Remember, if you will, in fact, you might even be able to see verse 1 of chapter 9 in your Bible. You want us to look at verse 1? Do you remember that at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus came to the, to the 12 and he gave them his power and his authority? And he said, you are going to go now. You're going to preach the gospel. I'm giving you power over evil spirits. Whoa. So you're going to heal and you're going to deliver people and you're going to preach and he, and he gave them that power and authority, and they went, and they did it. They experienced this. They were delivering people from spiritual bondage, healing people, preaching the gospel. These 12 had experienced this, and now suddenly they come to a situation where for some reason they say, Jesus, we got it. We'll do this one on our own. They got a little triumphalistic. <laughs> they got a little independent and it blew up in their face. Blew up in their face. And it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. This is the kind of thing you can't see on the mountain. Sometimes God has to take you into the valley. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so two weeks ago, Saturday, our church we married off one of our own. We had this really beautiful wedding and it was a woman who's been in our church for years. Her name is Nicole Peters. Many of you know her. We had been praying for Nicole that, that she would find the right guy. And this wedding was so beautiful. It was amazing. The guy she married goes to our church. It was like exactly the way you want a wedding to happen. Two people from the church, they're, they're seeking God. They fall in love. It was beautiful outdoor wedding in June, which is risky with the thunderstorms and stuff like that. But anyway, it was beautiful. And Pastor Mike got up there and he preached this message and it was so beautiful. And here's what he said to them. He's exhorting them. He's going, you got to build your relationship on Christ. Build your marriage on Christ. Christ will give you the power to forgive each other to extend grace to one another. Build your marriage on the love of Christ, the grace of Christ. And then he had this really profound moment. Mike, Mike said, could you have a marriage that had some forgiveness in it without seeking Jesus? And he said, probably. Could you have a marriage that had some grace in it if it wasn't built on the foundation of Christ? He said, probably. I mean, I'm sure people can do it here and there. Could you have a marriage that's not built on the foundation of Christ that's marked by love? Probably. But he said, here's the thing about that. If you do it without Jesus, the thing you have to realize, it's all on you to make those things happen. I was like, note to stealth, steal this for the next wedding. And I did, and I will, unashamedly. He said, think about this. If you do it without Jesus, you have to generate all the grace, all the forgiveness, all the love, all of the peace. It's got to come from you. And you is not a bottomless well, but Jesus is. Amen? Amen? But we do it. We walk into situations 
and we've got a Ferrari in the garage and we decide to get on a bicycle for some reason. And Jesus is going, why, why, are, you, why are you jumping into unbelief right now? Here I am. And I think the disciples needed to see this. They needed to realize we need to depend on Christ. How about you? How about you? Unbelief, it can creep in there. And Jesus lovingly will, he'll take you to the valley. He'll pull back the, the veil so you can see. Okay, that's word number one, unbelief. Word number two is kind of intense. It's the word ignorance. Okay, that's intense. If you don't like that word, uh, here's another word, dull-witted. Okay, try that. Or how about daft? Okay, or if the Brits, if we were British, we would say doft. But the point being, there's uh, what's happening in this next episode is this, we're seeing the disciples, their spiritual vision is still blurry. There's a little bit of misunderstanding. There's a little bit of ignorance. And hey, that happens to all of us, right? Look at the way Luke describes them in verse 40, um, verse uh, 45. There it is. Look at verse 45. Here's what happened. Jesus, he says to them, listen to what I'm about to say. He talks about this prediction. The son of man is going to be turned over to men. And then Luke says, now look at the way the disciples responded to this. They did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. Lack of understanding, they're dull-witted, they can't perceive it. But then look what Luke says next. This is so fascinating. It's not just that they didn't understand. It's not just that they couldn't perceive. They were afraid to ask Jesus what this meant. Whoa. What an interesting addition. Okay, do you know what this tells me? This tells me that they could understand the words that he was saying. His, his, his language was clear. They knew what he was meaning. That phrase, the son of man will be turned over to men. That sounds intense. That sounds like you're going to die. They understood it at that level, but there was something in their hearts that wanted to resist that truth to the point that they were afraid to even come back to Jesus and say, would you unpack that a little bit? Brothers and sisters, there is a gem hiding in here and I need to press on it for you because I think this is going to unlock some of you. This is what God wants for you. Sometimes, there are truths about Jesus that we are inclined to reject. Not because there's evidence that they're untrue, but because they make us uncomfortable. Let me say that again. Sometimes there are truths about Jesus that we, we, we want to resist Maybe we're even afraid of them. And it's not because there isn't any evidence that they're true. It's because they make us uncomfortable. We don't like the sound of them. Notice what's happening in this moment. People are marveling at Christ. People are rooting for Christ. This is like a rally. The, the crowds have gathered. He's done something amazing. And people are totally, they're like, yes, Jesus is the greatest. And I bet that the disciples in that moment were looking around going, 
we are a part of like a popular movement here. This is awesome. We want to be a part of a popular movement. And I think Jesus was looking at that very same situation and going, there's a potential to misunderstand who I'm really about. And so he says, please, see how he says it in verse 44? He says, let this, I'm about to say something important, let this sink into your ears. All this popularity, it's going to wear off real fast. And I'm going to be turned over to men. And it's going to get ugly. And I think that what happened in that moment was the disciples are hearing this and they're going, la, 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 we, no, we don't want to hear that. That's not the Messiah we want. That's not what we were expecting. That's not what our culture told us this would be about. We had all these expectations. Jesus, we just want you to fit into our expectations. La, 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 la. And Jesus is like, I don't like to fit into your expectations. Sometimes the truth about Christ pushes against our culture, right? Can I tell you something? This is critical. The truth of God, the truth of the gospel, every time that it's communicated into any given culture, our culture, a culture across the globe, a culture 500 years ago, Every time the message of God comes into a culture, it will always do two things at the same time. It will validate elements of that culture and it will confront elements of that culture at the same time. It will be good news and people will hear parts of it and go, yes, that sounds so good. And then there will be parts of it where they'll go, wait a minute, that sounds, I'm not sure I like that. I'm not sure I want to be the person who's a part of that. I'm not sure I want to be the guy saying that when my culture's screaming in my ear, hey, that's ignorant, that's wrong, that's bad. No one wants to be that person. But in every culture, in every age, the gospel always both comforts and confronts, validates and presses. And what happens is, just like those 12 who had all these expectations that, that your culture is just kind of the air you breathe. And so now they're hearing something about Jesus and they're going, wait a minute, this is making me uncomfortable. Wait a minute, I want to push against this. And I think God would say that happens throughout history at all times at all places. And here's the good news. Now look back at your Bible. Let me show you this. They were afraid to ask him about it. There at the end of verse 47, you see it there? Is that right? 45, thank you. Um, at the end of 45, they were afraid. But here's what's so amazing about that. Did you notice Jesus was there, ready? They could have asked him. Jesus was still at the campfire. Jesus was still walking with them down the road. I bet Jesus was with them and watching and, and going, I wonder if they'll ask me about this. I can tell they're freaked out. I wonder if they'll circle back and say, hey, will you unpack that a little bit? And you know what? Jesus is here in our community. You know what Jesus loves to do? He loves to give wisdom to people who say, oh, Lord, 
this part of it is hard for me. What am I to make of this? You know what the good news about a relationship with Christ? He's there. He's with us, River West. If we'll seek him with open minds, humble hearts, and a Bible that's open, Jesus is like, don't be afraid. Seek me. Amen? Is that an important word? Okay. Ignorance only continues to be ignorance if we dig in our heels and avoid Jesus. Let's not do that. So we have unbelief, we have ignorance, and now it's going to get a little more interesting. We have self-absorption. Look at verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. It's almost incredible to imagine a group of adults openly arguing about which of them is the most important. But then again, we are in the democratic uh, debates, and so it happens still. Presidential debates happen. But it's hard to imagine people doing that. It's just that typically we, we, we do that. It's just that we're sort of smart enough to not do it publicly, right? But here they are. They're arguing about this. Now, I tried to imagine, how did this conversation go down? Like, what caused this conversation to even happen? And I think here's what happened. Peter, James, and John came down from that mountain, and they kept talking about the transfiguration. And they were like, that was amazing. That was next level. I am so glad that the three of us were a part of that, right? And Bartholomew's over there, heard of him? Exactly. You haven't. He's over there going, wait a minute. I'm one of the 12, you know? What about me? And they, and they start arguing about it, and Jesus knows what's going on in their heads. And so here's what Jesus does. He grabs a child. See that? He grabs a child. It's like an object lesson. And he pulls in this child. And he says, look at this child. And here's our problem. In our culture, we worship children. We build our lives around our kids, and that's a good thing. But in Jesus' culture, and this is going to be really hard for you to imagine, in Jesus' culture, children were disregarded. They didn't have any power. They didn't have any status. They didn't really even have that much value. It's hard to imagine, but uh, infant mortality rate was so high that adults would distance themselves from children in a way. And so children were of no status. They were looked down upon. And so Jesus chooses this imagery, all right? He brings in a child. So when we hear that, what we need to imagine is we need to imagine someone that makes us uncomfortable, someone we don't want to be around, someone in our culture that has no status, someone we want to avoid. That would be the person that Jesus would bring in and he would sit down. And, he, and here's what he says to them. He says, look at this child. He goes, if you receive this Child, you know what you're doing? You're receiving me. As if to say, so here's the thing. In your, in your guys' economy, your social economy, that person that you want to walk by, you want to walk, you want to avoid, that person you would pay no regard for, well, that's the very person that I want to include. That's the very person that, that I want a part of my community. And then Jesus says, Here's the thing, to be great in my kingdom is to become 
the least. In your kingdom, in your economy, to be great is to become great. But I flip it upside down. And that's what's so counterintuitive about it. I love Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I'll put, I'll put one of these on the screen. You can see it. I love this verse, but I, when I read it sometimes, I'm like, that verse is easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, look at that. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That makes for amazing wall art, you know. But then you go, wait a minute. How do I actually do that? That means that I, in the community of Jesus, I'm supposed to look around at my neighbor and do nothing in community out of conceit. Out of, out of self-absorption, out of self-centeredness. I'm to look at the person next to me and consider that person more important than myself. Whoa. Can you imagine if we did that? What a beautiful community that would create. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But finally, I'm going to share with you the last word. And it's a big one. The word tribalism. You could also put in the word elitism. You say, I don't, I don't know where you're getting tribalism from this. Well, look what happens in that fourth episode. It's verses 49 and 50. Here's what's going on. The disciples encounter someone who is casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they don't know who that person is. He's a stranger. He's an outsider. They don't recognize this person. And what, what happens is John, John comes to Jesus and he says, I want you to know that we, we told that person to stop. We tried to stop them from doing that. Not because they were doing something wrong. In fact, it's good to help others. The reason we tried to stop them, Jesus, is because that person's not part of our inner circle. Isn't that interesting? You see it there in your own Bible? He says, we tried to stop them because he's not with us. He's not following you with us. And the word we use to describe that is tribalism. It seems like it's human nature to organize ourselves into small groups and then look down on other groups. That's tribalism. That's what it means. And it's just almost like it's a part of our human nature. The disciples did it. They're like this tight little inner circle and no one else can be a part of what we're doing. It goes back to the dawn of humankind probably. And here's the thing. It happens today. And I would even argue, and most of you would agree with me, I think in our culture, brothers and sisters, I think our culture is more polarized than ever. Man, isn't it? So polarized. People organizing into small groups around whatever it, it could be, a cause or a political view or, or a, an, a basic identity marker, I, organizing into really tight, devoted in-groups and looking down on other groups. And here's the problem with that. That can creep into the church. And suddenly in the church, we, we could find that we're, we're isolating ourselves from others. We're organizing into groups around whatever it might be. And we're starting to identify around a cause or an issue. And Jesus says, don't you realize 
The reason he shuts that down so fast is Jesus saying that is so destructive to the gospel. The gospel, Jesus said, the purpose of the gospel in part is to create a community. Look around the room. The purpose is to create a community of people. And that community is meant to transcend all of these causes and all these things that we might otherwise organize around. The purpose is to create a community where we, we love one another and we don't always agree about everything. But the one thing we share in common is our faith in Christ. That's the one thing that matters. And we lean into him. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. Amen? Isn't that true? Have you ever thought about this? The people that you might never associate with out there in the world, in here, you can have a beautiful Christ-centered relationship with them. Isn't that amazing? Beaver fans and duck fans out there, just nothing, right? But in here, we love each other. Huskies too. We'll let you in, you know, husky fans. I have beaver fans who come up to me. They're like, dude, I love you 364 days out of the year. But that one day, if civil war, civil war, it's off. But otherwise, I love you, right? Isn't that beautiful? And it's true of, of all other kinds of categories and issues. You come in here, and Jesus says, if you share faith in Christ in common, that's enough. It's beautiful, beautiful. Jesus said, if he's not against us, he's for us. Whoa, what a word. What a community that Jesus wants to create. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to share with you three sentences about Jesus. I would like you to write these down and take them with you. They're very simple. They'll be very obvious, but we have a short-term memory. And so I think you need these, especially if you're in the valley. If you are in the valley, remember these truths. This is about Jesus, and this is about you. Statement number one. Jesus loves to answer the prayer for more faith. He loves to answer that prayer. The disciples tried to do something in a posture of unbelief, and we do it all the time. And here's the point. If you find that you're in that place, the point is not to beat yourself up or hang your head and walk around like Eeyore. The point is you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, please give me more faith like the father in Mark's gospel who came to Christ and said, I believe, but help my unbelief because unbelief hides. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. So seek him. Statement number two, Jesus loves to answer the prayer for wisdom too. He loves it. Remember how James said it? James chapter one. I'll just put this on the screen. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I think that promise, take that to the bank. Have you found yourself learning something about scripture, about the Christian faith, about Christ, and you're realizing, ah, there's something about this. I want to resist it. And you realize I need wisdom right now. Don't run away. 
from that thing. Don't run away from your Bible. Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him and say, please give me wisdom. Right? With an open heart, an open mind. Turn off the Twitter feed. (laughs) Turn off the Snapchat feed. Turn off the news feed. Open the Bible feed and say, I need wisdom right now, Jesus. I need wisdom. And then here's the third sentence, and I'll close with this. Jesus loves to draw people into his kingdom through beautiful gospel community. He loves it. He loves to answer prayer for faith and wisdom, but he also, he loves to draw people in through beautiful community. The kind of community that he wanted the disciples to create. Remember? He's like, I want you to have these relationships where the only explanation is Christ. Help me build that kind of community, Jesus says. That's that's how I, I draw people in. Can I tell you something? In the last year, I've had so many conversations with people who are new to the church, and they, they tell me the same thing. They say, I didn't really know where I was at with Jesus yet, but what kept happening to me was I kept interacting with your community, and I just had no categories for the grace and the love and the joy. It was so beautiful, and it drew me in. And I think when Jesus hears stories like that, he's like, precisely, that's exactly it. Okay, so how about you? You find there's someone in the church that you disagree with. You have a different view, a different political view, a different theological view, but you know we share our faith in Christ, we share. But there's something about their view, and I don't really even like their view. Here's my question. Should you avoid that person? This is not a rhetorical question. Talk back to me. No, lean into that person. Whoa, if there's someone and you're like, that person has a different view. Do you know what I want you to do? I want you to, I want you to spend time with them. Love them. Listen to them. Pray with them. And remember, I'll prob- I'm going to be spending eternity with this person. And God will get the glory for that. God will get the glory. Good? Let's pray. We bow your heads. The worship team is going to come take communion. Lord, it's, it's deep and it's, and it's strong and it's beautiful and it's convicting and we're thinking deeply and you want us to think deeply and you want us to think with humility. And so thank you, God. Thank you that you revealed yourself at the top of the mountain and thank you that you revealed yourself in the valley. I'm praying this morning for my brothers and sisters. I know there are people here who are, they're in that place. They're in the valley. If that's you and you're discouraged, Jesus has not given up on you. He's with you. If your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, Jesus has not given up on you. He's with you. If your spiritual life feels cold and and even dark, Jesus has not given up on you. Seek him today. Lord, show yourself to us so we can continue to be the church that you're calling us to be, we pray. And we pray together in your precious name. Everyone said, amen, amen.